On today's episode of The Playgrounder, Rob Shaw joins me as we discuss a whole bunch of NBA topics. We talk about LeBron's extension, all the rumors about Kawhi being a diva, the Christmas Day slate, the opening day slate, Langelo Ball getting a contract. So we talk just straight hoops for like 20, 25 minutes. And then Jerome Weitzman comes on and Matt and I interview him about his book, Tanking to the Top, about the Philadelphia 76ers and their offseason and their playoff hopes. All good content, great stuff. Follow us on Twitter at PlaygrounderNBA. Follow me at ZachWilsonNBA. Follow Rob at Shaw's Law Podcast. And follow Matt at MattEsposito underscore. Subscribe to the pod, leave your review, and let's get it. Ah, usually coming on for uh, what did we call those uh, reacts re- post like reactions with uh, Rob? Rob's recaps, uh, oh, reactions with Ray. It was something like that. It was yeah. definitely an alliteration. Yeah, it, it was, was an alliteration sort of, for sure. Some sort of double R. Um, but hey, we don't have games because it's the off season. They're so so close. And actually, we just got the opening night schedule. So December twenty second, Nets, Warriors, Lakers, Clippers. When I made my Christmas Day like quote-unquote predictions or whatever I put those two matchups in there so uh when I when I saw the Christmas Day schedule and I didn't see them I was like oh that's disappointing but seeing that they're on opening night it makes sense as well that was the biggest surprise for me is that when I saw Christmas I was like wait no Lakers uh, Clippers on Christmas but like with opening night two days or three days yeah. before it makes sense that you you had to keep something to fire off to open up the season the only like the only matchup that tech like I can see why all the matchups make sense. Like you want to see Giannis versus you know Steph, and then Luca versus LeBron, and obviously the Nets Celtics with Kyrie going back to Boston. Like I guess the matchups make sense, but to me it seems like they just took the ten teams they wanted to see play and just threw them in a randomizer because I don't know. Like you could have made better matchups, but I understand with the opening day matchups being different than um. This makes this the Christmas Day makes sense. Like they have the ten teams that I'd want to see other than my Raptors, but yeah, they have those ten teams. Isn't like being a professional basketball player and being one of the most important guys in the league means like just just cancel your Christmas, especially if you're in like the five to twelve range. Because if you're in the top five, that normally gets you. Like, you're going to work on Christmas. Like, LeBron has probably worked every Christmas for his whole career. But as he got more established, I assume there are more home games than not. Like, he's not traveling on Christmas. Yeah, so I've always wondered that because fans obviously really want their teams to play on Christmas. I'm sure the franchises, like, ownership really wants them because it brings in good revenue. But I wonder if the players are just like – like, I wonder if LeBron, if he's ever just – man, can I just have a Christmas with my family once? Or am I, like – I always got to play on these. No, he, he's going to play every time. And it's a sign of who you are in the league. Like I assumed Anthony Davis would never have a Christmas off. Like he got a Christmas game when he was with the Pelicans one time and I was writing and I just said, yeah, so this is Anthony Davis's last Christmas off. And then that <laughs> never happened. And now he's back. Now he's but back. like part of being back is with being with the Lakers and being with LeBron. So we got Pelicans Heat, Warriors Bucks, Nets Celtics, Mavs Lakers, and Clippers Nuggets. Which one 
um, like excluding time slots, which matchup based on the matchup are you most excited for? Wait, run through them one more time and let me see if I can pull them up. I just, I'm a visual learner here, Zach. I'm a visual learner. <laughs> it's okay. I'm very visual right now because I have a fat sandwich right in front of me that I didn't finish before we started. And I really just want to take a bite, but I also don't want to smack my lips into the mic. So um, I can wait a few more minutes. But did you pull oh, that, them up? That's why you got. That's why you got to hit the mute button. Um, here, I'm pulling it up right now. Like you hit the mute button every time you cough? Every single time. I ever tell you about the time I let out like a horrendous cough and I missed the mute button? Like my fat fingers just completely missed it? No, but every time, I mean, our first Playgrounder pod, you just didn't even have the mute mic and the coughs were worse than regular. Oh, I didn't have, I didn't have, and I normally keep like all my stuff. I No, I had never used Skype before. I didn't know where my mute button was. <laughs> Yo, it's right at the bottom middle. <laughs> all right, so... My favorite Christmas Day one, Net Celtics is going to be really fun for me. And I know you said, like, exclude the time slot. But, like, that's, like, right in my wheelhouse. Like, the 5 o'clock. Have they announced the times, too? Um, This is what Woj called the tentative schedule. Uh, Pacers, oh, okay. uh, Heat is the 12 o'clock. Then Warriors, Bucks, 2.30. Net Celtics, 5. Mavs, Lakers, 8. And then finish the night uh, with Clips Nugs. By the time that late night game gets around, I'm like passed out. Opening presents, usually eat a fat meal. You're with your family all day, uh, watching and basketball that, all day. And usually by that game, I'm done by half. Um, I think it's net Celtics for me. I'm, I'm super excited to see Kevin Durant. Uh, our stuff for the Playgrounder hasn't come out. Our rankings and stuff. But, I have a lot of net stock. Let's just say I have a lot of net stock. And then, I mean, you have Kyrie versus Boston. That's also a big one. I'm personally really excited for Mavs Lakers. I just, Luka maybe is my favorite player to watch in the league. I know Kristaps probably won't play, which kind of sucks, but you get to see LeBron versus Luka, who LeBron, the current you know greatest player in the league, and Luka probably the up-and-coming one. I know people would maybe want to throw Giannis or Zion in that mix, but I think Luka far exceeds those two for, for that you know passing of the mantle. How bad does the NBA want Zion to pop? Yo, okay, Josh Everly said that. He's like, I've never seen a star get forced on us so hard. But I also did see someone say that they read a stat that Zion Williamson was like the most Google searched NBA player last year. So I think it is a bit of both. I think the fans are still really anticipating, really want to see him. But the NBA really, really wants to push him. Yeah, the NBA is dying for him to pop. Like, yeah. and I can't blame all him. those national... All those national TV games last year, um, a Christmas Day game this year, mind you, in the in the yuck slot. The yuck slot is the twelve o'clock one. It's like I That's mean, if usually you're where the late, Knicks go. No, oh, the Knicks have fallen so hard. It used to be tradition for them to get a Christmas Day game just because of who they were as a market. And now it's just So I recorded a quiz the beat with a Knicks guy hasn't come out yet. It comes out this weekend. So I won't tell you the number, but the Knicks do hold the record for most Christmas games in a uh, franchise history. I, I will. I won't or, know sorry, the number, but I knew league history. Yeah. I knew that just off the strength of uh, my family's from New York. My uncle's like the Knicks always play on Christmas day. And then like, and he said that from the time I was very young. So I was very cognizant of it. So these past couple years, probably since mellow, 
when they haven't gotten one, I've been like, oh, this is bad. But it also goes to show that it's no, it's no longer your market. Uh, the player's marketability matters more than your general location. Yeah, or how good the team is because you could easily throw Philly or Toronto against Miami in that morning time slot, which will probably be two better teams or a ton of teams in the West. But, you know, you're obviously going with the Pelicans because of Zion. So they're trying to really, really push him. Uh, Speaking of that Lakers Mavs game, one guy in that game just got a big fat extension. The guy who maybe is the best player of all time, definitely in the conversation, um, but he's going to be making like $42 million a year over the next two years. And is that what Anthony Davis is wa- – uh, some of the rumors that Davis is waiting to see what LeBron was going to do because we all know he's going back to the Lakers, but he hasn't put pen to paper yet. And last week when it was announced he was coming back, there's no way I would have thought LeBron signed an extension before Davis got his done. Yeah, I mean, I have no idea. And it's funny how we're about to see a guy who is going to be like 38 making $42 million a year and none of us just batted an eye. Like, we were all like, oh, yeah, yeah, I mean, that's LeBron. Why would you? He's still the best player in the league. Like, he might – you can argue whether he's the greatest of all time, but he's top two for me, and he's still the best player in the league. So we saw with like Brady and Kobe and Dirk and Duncan a time where they just fell off and you you knew you were like, yeah this is it. I don't think we're ever going to get that with LeBron. Like I don't think so. He'll probably fall off the number 1 player in the world. I assume maybe he won't, but he's probably going to retire in his final year as a legitimate all-star. Like not just a a pity all-star team, but unless he plays till he's like 50, he's probably going to retire as a legit all-star. Yeah, when he's when he hangs it up there will definitely be think pieces like, well, could he have played two more years? Or is he going to come back as the sixth man for so-and-so? Is it just too much on his body to do the full season, but will he jump in playoff time? Because he'll still be that good, that effective. And I know he's lost athleticism. I'm not arguing that. But you can make a real argument that he looks better than he ever has. Like, as far as his effectiveness on a basketball court, I know he's not making the same highlight plays, but, man, his just – we've never seen him shoot this well. We've never seen him – and he's been a great passer all his year, but I think the court vision and the passing and the playmaking was at an all-time high this year. Like, he's just – he. you can argue that he's better than he's ever been. And he's also playing with – I don't know if you want to call Davis the best teammate, but this is the best fit LeBron has ever had in a teammate. I honestly, yeah, I I think Davis is a better player than Dwayne Wade. And I know that's unpopular to say because Dwayne Wade has had a better career uh, up to this point and he's known as a better player all around. But I think when their careers are said and done, Davis will be ahead of Wade. He just, I just, I don't know. Like, <laughs> Anthony Davis is so good. I think he's the best teammate he's ever had. He's, he's easily the best fit. Like, Kyrie and Wade made it work with LeBron and so did Bob. Bosch is probably a better fit than Kyrie and Wade. Like, he's just not the talent level. But it's – I'm about to nerd out real quick. It's almost like they gave uh, LeBron Super Saiyan Chris Bosch. Do you think Eddie House is his best teammate ever? Eddie House uh, made Skip to my Lou, Ray for Austin, so mad that uh, Skip smacked his headband off. And that is a great NBA moment. Ready for Alston? When I think of throwback Raptors uniforms, 
like those ones with the purple on the front and the black on the back. For some reason, Rafer Alston's the first player to come to my mind. Not even Vince or like T Mac or Doug Christie, Charles Oakley. It's Rafer Alston. Skip to my Lou, New York legend, Fresno <laughs> State. I don't know. Maybe his name's just really catchy to me. Um, another LA superstar I want to touch on is Kawhi Leonard, who obviously have really played a huge role in bringing my Raptors a championship, so I can't hate on the guy ever. But it seems like his teammates really can. And I don't know. I'm interested. It sounds like Kawhi's maybe divaing out and the Clippers are really letting him and the teammates don't like it. What do you what do you see on the whole on the situation? I see a guy who operates the way I want to operate. Like, why do I have to podcast with you? Like, I want my own private podcasting studio. Um, I I don't know why you guys text me in the playground or group chat. Like, just speak to me directly. Like Kawhi's living like a boss, my own private locker room. I come to practice when I want to come to practice. Mm. Oh, pra- practice starts at 10. I'll see you guys around 1045 when the boring <laughs> stuff's over. Yeah, this guy. <laughs> you know what? And we talked about this on on your podcast this morning. Um, and I'm it'll come out when it comes out about how Toronto literally may be the best run franchise in the league. And I think this literally is just a prime example of that because there's no way Kawhi was just nothing last year. Then he got to the Clippers and he's like, yeah, I'm the man now. Like all this stuff must have been happening. It's just Toronto and their players and their coaches and whatever found a way to maneuver it so it didn't get under the media, didn't cause any chemistry problems. Like it's just that's another example of how much stronger the Raptors are run than a team like the Clippers. And I'm sorry I'm going to do this to him, but like, are we sure this just isn't like how much they were happy to have somebody better than DeMar DeRozan. Like, they were just like, look, if this guy doesn't want to practice, that's fine. Like, DeMar's gone, and he'll hoop in the playoffs for real. So let Kawhi do his thing as long as he doesn't turn into DeMar. It might it might be that. Like, maybe not necessarily, like, he's better than DeMar, but it's like, look, we have a real shot at a championship here. We're not. I'm not going to be causing any problems. If Kawhi wants to take some extra time off, I'm gonna. I'm just gonna let it slide because we have a real shot at something here. But maybe there's also maturity to that. Of look, this guy needs all this extra attention because of his knee and his leg, and I understand that. So whatever he needs helps us win the championship more. So I'm not gonna complain because he's our best player. So I think there's definitely two uh, sides to that same kind of thought process. No, but jokes aside, I think the real thing, uh, the maturity point you bring up, the Raptors have nothing but professionals. And I think they did understand, hey, he might need things a little bit different. And I'm not here to count his pockets. I don't, I'm don't. i going to control what I can control. And I think that starts with Kyle Lowry. And everybody else just kind of followed suit. Like, look, right. if Kyle doesn't care that he takes a little extra time, why should I? No, and, and that's exactly where it comes to leadership within the players. The Clippers didn't have that. They relied on Kawhi for that. So when Kawhi was getting special treatment in Toronto, you know, guys like Kyle Lowry and Fred VanVleet and Marc Gasol were still the more vocal leaders. And they were the guys saying, look, we all control what we control. For him to be at his best, he needs to do this. And for us to be at our best, we need him at his best. Where the Clippers, they don't have that vocal leader to be like, look, Kawhi needs to do this. Kawhi is the quote-unquote vocal leader, and he's obviously not that at all. So when him saying, yeah, I just need this this time and all this space, you know, it's not going to sit right with guys. But once you have other leaders who are different people kind of expressing that view, like you mentioned about Kyle Lowry, then it, it creates a better tone amongst the rest of the team. Yeah, the Clippers don't have 
that vo- that voice that has enough NBA cachet, like it's supposed to be Kawhi. But if Kawhi's the one doing things that are causing the issues, it can't be him. Paul George is just from what he's shown us, he's a second banana in every sense of the word. Like he's sort of a follower. He's not going to be your leader. Pat Beverly probably just can't get behind taking days off because of how hard it was for him to get in the league and stick. So like a guy taking days off and doing stuff without the team probably just doesn't compute for Pat Beverly. Like, no, no, I had to grind and work so hard to get here. Why is it okay for him to pull up at 11 o'clock for a 930 practice? Exactly. And I think, you know, for leaders, everyone who plays competitive sports at any point in their lives know that a leader on a team not only needs to be a good communicator and be a good, you know, leader, have good leadership qualities, but they need to be one of the better players on the team. Like a guy can have all the right things to say and say it all the right ways and you'll still listen. But if he's not one of those guys who's, you know, putting the team on his back when he's on the court too and putting his own words into practice, it becomes a little bit harder to listen to them. So maybe the Clippers had this random voice, but when it's not Kawhi and it's not Paul George, you know, you're not going to listen to it as much. That's why when it is a guy like Kyle Lowry who's a six-time All-Star, you're going to be more apt to listen. All right, you brought it up. Kyle Lowry's six All-Stars. If him and Mike Conley just switched careers completely, which is a real thing in my mind, because Mike Conley probably would be a multiple-time All-Star in the East. And so Mike Conley stole – or not Kyle Lowry stole Mike Conley's best friend and then won a championship with him. Kawhi? No, uh, Marcus. Oh, Marcus. Like, duh. <laughs> they were best buddies, and I feel like Kyle Lowry is living Mike Conley's best life. He's like, "Hey, I went out east. I won a bunch of these All Star things, and now I have a championship. And if we switch lives, I don't know how different things are for each other." Well, that was a that was a real thing last trade deadline of switching Kyle Lowry for Mike Conley, like making the Marcus Gasol trade bigger and flipping Lowry for Conley in there. And I'm really happy they didn't because I do think Lowry's a, a better player than Conley, especially at this point in their career. Um, but at this point, I don't think it's close, but I think in their primes, like since they overlap, Conley probably would have made I think a there's a case. Yeah. Oh, man. That's just something I always think about. Like he's like, he's got all of Conley's all-star appearances. And then he was like, look, let me take this big guy off your hand and I'll turn him into a real champion. Yeah, and that's why I really think that the All-Star game, especially now with the draft format, needs to just go to 24 best players. Screw conferences, screw positions, just 24 best players. Give me the 10 best starters in the league, then whatever it is, 12, 10, whatever, 14 best bench players, and and let's run out because those are the All-Stars. You know, it's not just 12 from each conference because you're not competing conferences anymore. Just give me the 24 best players, the guys who deserve to make the All-Star team. Do you feel the same way about all NBA teams? Oh, I totally Should those think, be positionally? Like, I just totally give me the 15 so. best players, right? Yeah. Like, if the if the first team needs to be five point guards because they were the best five players in the league this year, that's fine. Or if it's seven or eight small forwards out of 15 spots, just do it because it's a better representation of how the league is. Yeah, and – Obviously, that would completely leave out, you know, any hope of a guy like Rudy Gobert. But it's also like, but he wasn't like the 15th best player. Sure, he might have been the third 
best center in the league or fourth best center, but he wasn't a top 15 player. And that's what this is supposed to recognize is the top five players in the league, all NBA first team, then the next five, second team, then the next five, third team. It's not supposed to like, I just don't think, I don't think it was designed with the mentality of we need to recognize the three best centers and the three best point guards and the three best small forwards. I don't think it was designed like that, but then they added the positions in. And as soon as you do that, it becomes what that is and not recognizing the players who had the 15 best seasons. I agree. Um, can we talk about a guy who's probably going to make an all NBA team this year who just signed with the Detroit Pistons, Leangelo Ball? He'll probably make what? Second team, you think? Yeah, if LeVar is the only voter. <laughs> Yo, I love it. I'm so happy. I don't even – people get so annoyed at LeVar. I just love it. I love the Ball family. I'm so happy. I don't know if he'll stick in the league. I, my guess would be no. I think his two brothers are substantially better than him. But I just I just love the fact that he's there because more LeVar, more LeVar for me is just more entertainment. Um, it's It's super early for the – we're signing this brother to hope to pull in the next brother when he's a free agent. So I am just all in on Detroit wants to be as bad as possible. And like, this is another way to push themselves towards that. Yeah. So he did sign an exhibit 10 contract. So likely he'll be in the G league for the majority of the time. I think you get like 60 days or something whatever it is in the NBA. I don't know. I'll like, it's very similar to a two way. I think I, I need to read up on my contracts if I'm going to talk basketball, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know why they did it. Maybe it was just sure. Let's take a flyer because why not? Um, I don't see why else. Like I don't, and this is no disrespect to him. Like he's obviously still a, a good basketball player when it comes to you're looking at average people because he was still a division one prospect, but I don't know if he's an NBA prospect. So I don't know. Like you can't just look at him and be like, yeah, this guy's going to grow into a nice rotation piece. It's just, sure, let's take a flyer. If he does, then he does. If he doesn't, then we drop him. Didn't the Pistons just release Zaire Smith from the that they got from the Sixers? Yeah, which I didn't understand. I don't understand that. I <laughs> No, no, so then, then the Pistons can't talk to me about anything. Like, I just don't want to hear anything from him. We're talking about a lottery talent that was buried on a – team that had championship aspirations like whether they met those goals or not the Sixers fans the guy just had a peanut allergy I thought it was sesame seeds I think it was sesame seeds yeah (laughs) but like that's what I'm saying if like why not take a flyer on somebody that was clearly a lottery talent and then to wave that person and then be like nah mm -mm, don't worry we got the move for you guys like they might as well just spit in the fans' face at this point. Why go so hard after Mason Plumley and Jaleel Okafor the night free agency opens and not even deal with Christian Wood? Like, who knows why they've done anything they've done? They they have a lot of Cade Cunningham stock. Yeah, and I mean they had a, honestly a really good draft this year, which is why I surprised why they fell back because Killian Hayes. I don't know much about him, but I've heard he's really good. I don't watch a ton of Euroball. I really like Sadiq Bay. I've been I've been known to say I think Villanova produces the produces like the best NBA players, and that's because when I say that I mean schools like Duke and Kentucky they take guys who are already pros and let them have their pit stop year before they go. Where I think Jay Wright literally takes guys and produces. NBA players out of them like Jalen Brunson and Ryan Archie Diacono and guys like that and now they're starting to get some guys like Mikhail Bridges and um who they have this year Robinson Robinson what's his name 
Jer. I'm not sure. They have a guy who's expected to be like a lottery pick, but I don't know. Either way, that's just that's my personal take. What do you think about my Villanova take? Um, I like your take. It's. Yeah, I feel like you're short in Kentucky. Like there's certain guys that may not have been one and done had they not gone to Kentucky. Um, the two that come to mind are Tyler Hero and uh, SGA, your fellow Canadian. Shout out. But overall, like Jalen Brunson was a five star and there were still things that people were concerned about. And he's a Villanova guy through and through. And I love Amari Spellman. I hope he gets I minutes just, on the net. I don't see Villanova guys failing in the NBA very much at all. Ryan Diart, uh what is it? Ryan uh, Archie Diacono. Uh, Archie Diacono. He's still kicking around. Like they don't produce all stars. Like he's Kyle on the Lowry. Bulls. No, he's, yeah, he's a solid player. Like Kyle Lowry, I think is the only star to come out of there. But they just they produce solid talent, and it's Jeremiah Robinson Earl. That's who uh, I was talking about. But okay. that's why I really like the Sadiq Bay pick because just Villanova guys are good, like Pascal and Mikhail Bridges too for two of the newer guys. Like I just I don't know. I, I like and then they got Isaiah Stewart too. I actually really like uh Eric Pascal. I yeah. think he's gonna be good for the Warriors and I think he's an impact player. Yeah, he's uh no, nah, he's good. I like him. Uh, man, I'm so excited for the season to start. We are what ten days away from the first pre- uh, preseason game, or is it nine days away? Or what? Are, I don't know what we are. I know we're. Today I'm pretty sure we're ten second. days from the first Raptors preseason game. Well, that's all that really matters, right? That's all that matters. Best organization in the league. <laughs> well, under Sh- uh, Shams's tweet of the first three days of the NBA schedule, Baines Fan Club, who's another guy we talk about in your pod, tweeted. He's like, "I see we're holding the Baines Toronto debut close to the vest." So uh, I can definitely see – I already know Baines is going to have, like, a really good game where he drops, like, 30, and there's going to be so many Tampa Baines things going around everywhere, just whether it's in meme form or jersey form. But Tampa Baines is going to be used. I promise you that. I can't believe you just let that fly on the pod. You were supposed to make these memes. That is gold. I don't even know if I'm the first one to say it. I just – Oh, it's the first time I've heard it, and you were supposed to let that fly. Well, what else? What else did I say once? And what? Is, oh, oh! It was when the um, I, I wasn't talking. I wasn't talking to you, but it was when the league shut down, and I literally was on a phone call with a friend right when it happened because you're in shock. So you just call your friends. You're like, "Yo, what's going on?" And I was like, "I was like, I literally this. I thought of this off the top of the dome. I was like, wow, Rudy Gobert is such a good defender. He just shut down the whole league.'" And my friend was like, "If you don't tweet that out, I will." And I was like, "Yeah, yeah, that that is good." And I was like, I should, I and I tweeted it out. Off. Yeah, I tweeted it out, and then, like, a day later, I saw the same tweet floating around from a guy who was more popular than me. So, I was like, yeah, you win some, you lose some. I just haven't won some yet. No, no, that that's a good one. <laughs> that was funny. Oh, man. Hey, Rob, thanks so much for doing this. Uh, you want to go pl- plug your podcast right now? Um. So, right now, we are in the middle of the Shaw's Law preseason pods. I'm just calling all my twitter and basketball friends and i'm like hey this is your favorite team come talk about it with me for 45 minutes so matt came and did the celtics for me zach came and did the raptors and i'm just making my way around the league and i'm dropping one a day until the season starts and on the weekends i think i'm going to drop two a day and hopefully my math works out 
Hopefully, I am not good at math. I realize doing quiz the beat when I'm like, wow, now you're two for five. Now you're three for six. And I lose track just counting to seven. So uh, math's <laughs> not my strong suit. But Rob, thanks so much for doing this. Uh, let's get on to the interview with your own Weitzman. All right, joining us, we got your own Weitzman, the author of Tanking to the Top, a book which I did just move. So a lot of my stuff is still in boxes. And one of those things still in boxes is my books. So I still have your book in a box. That is not any disrespect to you. All my books are there. I'm super excited to read it, but uh, your own, how are you doing today, man? I'm good. How are you? How are you? Uh, you know, doing well. Uh, excited to talk ball. Excited to talk one of the most intriguing teams in the league. On, I mean, as you know, one of the most intriguing teams for the past, I don't know, like seven years or so. Um, I do want to dive into a quick question about your book first, though, because as someone who's a writer or podcaster in basketball, I'm super intrigued on people's motivations for writing books on athletes or on teams. So I just wanted to ask you, like, what kind of drove you towards writing this book? Were you just kind of watching Philly one day and you were like, wow, this is like historically awful that I should just write a book on this? Um, <laughs> so I came later. So I was... um. I, my job was a, you know, quote unquote national NBA writer on Bleach Report, meaning my job was to find stories that resonated with a national audience. And I live in New York and the Knicks and Nets were cutting it. So around 2017, 2018, I started heading down to Philly a little bit um, to be around that team, kind of reading that with Simmons and Embiid. And there was a lot of stuff happening there and they were young and exciting. And I covered them for the playoffs that season. And just and it struck me that there was a lot more to that story, a lot of big personalities, a lot of complexities, a lot of stuff bubbling around the surface there, bubbling beneath the surface there. Um, and it felt like it was right for a book topic. I love the, um, I love the, when you said like quote unquote national NBA writer, like the, the humility in that, like here, you know, Zach and I over here trying to get something started off the ground. So we appreciate the, the quote unquote part of it. Like just call uh, it. Well, just, no, it just means that like, you know, I don't say that to say anything. I don't say it to make myself sound important. I say it to like, my job, right? Like my job was to do national story, like stories that resonate on a and it's a national audience, not local stuff. Um, gotcha. So you know, it's like I don't want to come off like you know I'm some big shot. <laughs> no, no, please, please do because um, all sure, of your success. Fine. I'm, I'm huge. <laughs> all of your success has been earned for sure. So um, you know, please, please brag about yourself and pat yourself on the back all you want. Because um, trust me, if if either one of us, like Zach or myself, were to have any meaningful success one day, I can promise you we would just be bragging about it nonstop. Um, <laughs> there you go. So I, I had a question for you. Uh, you know, obviously your book, Taking to the Top, you, know, you can kind of tell what it's about just from the from the title. But have you gotten like any any pushback in terms of are, are people – uh, kind of disagreeing with with what you've written about, or or how has the the feedback been? Um, well, from who? <laughs> uh, it depends who you're talking about, right? Like some fans, you know. I I, I joked as I was writing it um, that everyone on all sides was going to be upset with me, and I and that that meant I was hitting the right note. Um, that wasn't <laughs> exactly the case, but the idea was, you know, I was critical. Uh, there are plenty of people around Sam Hinky who think he's perfect. And, or, you know, not perfect, but that he was a genius and didn't make any mistakes. There are plenty of people who think he was a bum and made a ton of mistakes. Mm -hmm. um, I think I work on, I got into both. I think he did a lot of really smart things and he messed up some things. And there were different 
you know, every, it's not black and white. Um, and I think most people understand that, you know, if you're being honest, even his most, um, most of his defenders, guys like the, uh, the podcast host, the rights, Ricky Sanchez, Mike Eskin, Michael Vin, who are awesome and huge fans there of his and kind of play a major role, I think, in the story of the process. And as funny as it sounds, like the, the bully pulpit that they have as the platform that they have has made an impact. Um, and even like, you know, hinky defenders like that, they knew some of the mistakes that he made and they get it. Um, so the feedback has been pretty good. It's been nice. You know, the Wall Street Journal said it's the best basketball book in years. So what else can you ask for? Hey, and I, I, I like the Wall Street Journal because I, uh, I don't know, like I like to get my my news from all different types of sources just to kind of stay like well rounded. But so I, I did like the free the free month, and you have to you have to put your credit card in. And you obviously have to like opt out of it. And every time I call in to opt out, they're like, "No, we'll give you another month." So like I've been reading the Wall Street Journal free for about four or five months, and I I don't plan on stopping. Good for you. <laughs> I don't plan on stopping anytime soon. So, um, no, but definitely, definitely good insight. Um, Zach, what else? Uh, what else we got? I honestly, okay. One thing I wanted to ask, and I want to ask, obviously, you who's been around the team and you've been writing this book, because we've heard nonstop stuff on, oh, you have to trade one of Simmons or Embiid, and I've always been kind of against that. And I feel like we've been led to believe it's mainly just been rumors and the organizations had no interest in pursuing trading one of them. But have you ever reached a point where you're like, wow, one of them is getting traded and it might be today? Or has it all just been kind of fluff of just random fans throwing out ideas? Yeah, more a ladder. It wasn't that, um, yeah, they've never been close. I'm not going to say they've never discussed. I don't know. I mean, teams discuss everybody, right? Like that was come out. Like I think pretty much everybody gets discussed in trades because that's, you know, the job. Um, but I don't know if they've discussed him. And I'm going to guess like, oh, yeah, they probably discussed, you know, we'll, we'll you pay. Uh, Milwaukee, would you trade Giannis for, for Ben Simmons, right? Like, why? Like, of course you make that call. But that's not real. Um, I've never had the impression, and not even never had the impression, I'm I, fairly confident in saying that they've never had any serious discussions to make a trade or have had any, you know, high-level internal meetings saying we have to break this deal all up. Um that just wasn't what they were doing. I do think we might get to that place sooner rather than later. What I was intrigued by what Daryl Morey did now is that he seemed to have figured out a way to adjust. I'm not going to say fix the roster, but, um, you know, plug some of the holes, right. Or get rid of some of the flaws that were put there in the Al Horford and Tobias Harris signings and things like that. Like one of my concerns beforehand was that the contracts that they had signed, signed those guys and how strapped they were in terms of their, um, cap flexibility would that leave them in a place where it's not that we want to break up the two guys it's that our only way forward is to break up the two guys this is stagnant um we need to break this up i don't think they're there and i don't know if we'll get there soon obviously the james harden thing is an interesting curveball in that um but in terms of to answer your original question like have they has there, has there ever been a point where i thought a trade was coming no not at all so i've uh, I, I definitely, uh, you know, kind of uh, concur with you when you said that, like, they had some things they needed to shore up with their roster or just just change, right, around around Embiid and, and Simmons. But this is something that I've kind of been debating with myself this offseason. So, you know, I like what the Sixers did, uh, bringing in Seth Curry, right, and getting off some contracts. But what do you think is is more of a pressing need for the Sixers? Like, having their two big stars, like Joel Embiid maybe – get into a little bit uh, better shape and, 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 you know, Ben Simmons maybe shooting that jumper, like is, is, are their changes more important than the changes that they've made around them? 
That's a good question. Um, I don't know that I would say either or, right? I think both matter. I guess most importantly, yeah, Embiid being in shape and Simmons, I won't even say shooting, just figuring out how to remain a, an effective weapon in the half court in like playoff basketball, right? So maybe it's not shooting. Maybe it's being a screener or maybe it's getting to the line 12 times a game, right? Things like that. Um, I think those two are huge and probably the most important, but you know, it all goes hand in hand. The fit makes a big difference. Right now, this roster, at least, at least the um, the starting lineup, like the fit makes sense. Like that's a team that makes sense uh, in terms of spacing and roles and things like that. They still don't have a half court creator the way we would typically think of them. Um, we still don't have, you know, Jay Butler role basically. Anyone playing mm-hmm. that role, and they might miss that. But maybe that's Embiid. Maybe that's something Embiid and Simmons can do in the half court, or maybe Embiid in the post if you have proper shooting around them and you can make, um, you know, make teams pay for double teaming or make decisions easier for him to make, right? It's where it's either, hey, we're single covering him and he's going to go to work or we're going to double team and the guys war, and the guys waiting are great shooters, right? Um, so it's like kind of all connected. Um, so, they, uh, you know, I'll cop out, I guess, and say both. But I guess the first one is really like, it's a superstar league. You need your stars to be at a certain level to be competing for a championship. Yeah, no, and I definitely agree. And we saw what happened when they simply had J.J. Redick there. He just he really spaced out the floor and they were able to run those handoffs with Embiid. Um, But one part of the, I guess, roster that they really needed to shore up that I felt was they just got killed every time Embiid was off the floor. And now with the addition of Dwight, it seems like, you know, that may not happen. So how important of a role, even if it is just 15 or so minutes a game, do you think Dwight plays on this year's team? Um, so Dwight's going to get minutes for sure. Right. And I mean, the Horford was brought in to shore that up a bit. And he did in terms of, um, the team cratering when Embiid went to the bench, that was the big issue. And I don't remember the number, but like in the Toronto series two years ago or two seasons ago, um, I should say, um, I forget. They like were outscored by like a hundred points per hundred, you know, a hundred points total in like 20 minutes. I forget the number, some, uh, some crazy number in the minutes when Embiid was off the floor. And that was one of the things that led them to the Al Horford, Signing, um, they helped that a little bit. The fit with Howard, Howard, we don't know how the how the Sixers are going to play defensively, but just Howard is more of a, um, you know, equal sub, not equal substitute. He he plays in a similar style in a similar way to Embiid. So he can man the paint, back up. You know, you can run things with him. He's also going to give them a, more of a dynamic, um, you know, role man off pick and rolls that they really haven't had in years. Embiid's not big on that, and that's going to help them, I think, in their second unit. So no, the Howard, the Howard signing was great, right? I think it's going to let them feel a little comfortable or more comfortable resting Embiid on certain games, um, especially with the condensed season, the way the season's going to be condensed this year, and you know, keeping Embiid's minutes under the thirty-four range, right, which we know they want. Yeah, and and this season is going to be absolutely unpredictable right just in terms of every every all the games that are delayed or you know it's just going to be wild so having that insurance is definitely a great thing and and i think doc rivers will find a way to to use dwight uh to his max but uh, i wanted to ask you about doc rivers so do you think he was brought in to like to to more so change the the x's and o's the way that they play basketball around their their two stars or um two superstars i should say but um or do you think he was brought in to maybe change the way like Simmons or Embiid play, right? And like change the chemistry in that locker room. So what do you think his um, like primary, primary function as the coach is going to be this year? Um, I mean, it's like why, why they went to get him, you're saying? 
Yeah. Yes, that's a that's a be- that's a short way of saying a very long winded question I asked you. <laughs> I mean, they they they, need, they needed a new voice um, for sure. I think they were had some frustrations in some of the X's and O's. Um, some Browns lack of adjustments, things like that. You know, voices grow stale in the NBA anyway, often as coaching. And I think the big the big thing with them is that he has this um, stature and he can command a level of respect from players like Embiid and Simmons that Brett Brown. For a host of reasons, some his own, some of his own doings, some of his own faults, some not um, that Brett Brown was not able to receive. I do want to kind of go back a bit again into maybe I guess three years ago. I'm I'm horrible with years and dates. Like I only remember my parents' birthdays and my sister's birthday. No other birthdays. Uh, but that's neither here nor there. Um, <laughs> but I want to go back like three years to more when Markel Fultz was a rookie and he went through the shoulder injury. It seemed like the media was all over him, and me as someone who is roughly around the same age as him, I was like, I could not imagine going through this at the age of 19. Was there ever a point where you just felt bad for him? You were like, guys, this is a 19-year-old kid. Like, We should maybe lay off a bit. I mean, yes and no, right? Like, yeah, you feel 100% the feeling bad part, right? 100%. Um, he's 19, and you feel bad for it. The laying off part, one – He's a public figure, right? right. And pay a lot of money, do a job. It doesn't mean don't have empathy, but it means you're allowed to cover it. Um, two is, you know, it was part of it was he refused to acknowledge that he was having issues. I always felt one of the things that he could have benefited from was, you know, saying I'm having these problems. And instead, maybe he's not, right? They've never come out and say it, but I don't, you know, there are plenty of people who don't think it was just a shoulder injury. And he refused to ever acknowledge that there was anything non-physical going on with him. Um, and he got, I mean, you know, laying off like, Sixers fans used to cheer him like the second he touched the floor. Like they treated him like he was like Rudy, right? He didn't get, he got treated really fairly yeah. by the media, um, by the media and by fans. Um, but if he comes out post-practice and is shooting a ball and has like, you know, nine hitches with the shot on the way up and it bricks off the rim, like, you know, reporters are going to record that and have the right to record that and put it out. And, you know, the Sixers, why they didn't keep him behind a curtain while that was happening, I'm not really sure. So speaking of guys that, had shooting hitches this got me thinking about michael bridges and for some reason maybe it's just me but i feel like we uh maybe underestimate just how great of an impact he could have had if, if philly never made that trade so like you know on a and this might be a stupid question but like on a scale of one to ten how much do you think the sixers regret that that draft day trade um well i mean part of it is they got um they got an unprotected Miami draft pick to help them get to buy Harris. And you could say, mm. you know, that was bad for you too. Um, but you know, it's hard to separate that. Um, you know, it were like five moves in right now. So it's hard to separate or pull those apart. Um, yeah. And hindsight, I would say that was not a great trade. Um, you know, a lot of people, there's a reason like a lot of people thought Bridges was a good fit for the Sixers in terms of how ready he was for the NBA, his ability to be a lockdown wing, um, three and D guy looks like a really good player. Um, he's definitely something the Sixers would like to have now. But then, you know, if they have him, do they dress tie ball? It's like, you know, a whole butterfly effect that would be hard to say. So do they regret it? I don't really know. I mean, part of my reporting is also that um, a minority owner, that was, was when there was a vacuum, you know, after Brian Colangelo was out, before Elton Brandon was elevated, there was a vacuum created. And uh, a minority owner was the one who pushed for that trade, who was in the draft room. And they mm-hmm. like to get handy on draft stuff. So I would say that's probably not great for strategy um, or effectiveness. But in terms of regretting it, I mean, I don't know. We're like, we're way too deep in that one now. Right. Yeah, no, I feel that. Uh, I just have a couple more questions. We're really appreciative of your time. 
One of them <laughs> is so Matt's a Boston fan. I'm a Toronto fan. You obviously writing the book, being around the 76ers, and then you kind of look at Brooklyn with Katie and Kyrie coming back. This literally may be the best division like we've ever seen. So who do you think is the best team in this division, and why is it the Raptors? Uh, <laughs> the best team. East is weird right now. I kind of actually, I'm, um, you know, the team I keep looking at in terms of, I don't want to say regular season record because I don't know, but the team I would pick right now to come out of the East, I think, is the Sixers. Um, mm. For number, number the Heat, right? I just, the Nets were, I mean, obviously the Nets, ceiling is the highest right if things go well that could be a 60 win or whatever for 72 game season now so what's that what's that equal like 52 wins whatever it would be right um they could be a juggernaut um that could also that things could be could you know go crazy over there we'll have to see um but to me i just think the doc rivers thing is going to make a difference and i think the roster works and dal mori i don't think he's done tinkering and just that's the team i look at um in terms of you see toronto's lost ibaka and gasol um the Celtics obviously lost Hayward. Kemba's injured right now. We're going to see how that plays out. So, you know, I don't, Milwaukee, they got better, I guess, but I don't think they got enough. I'm still worried about them in the playoffs. You know, looking at the landscape, to me, it's like, why can't the Sixers make the East, make the finals out of the East? So you're all in on the Danny Green 3 P. <laughs> I forgot about that. Uh, no, I didn't say win. I said make the finals. I didn't say so the win. Danny Green finals 3 P. There you go. Um, one, yeah. one, one last question for you. Um, so if I were to say that next season, well, if I were to say next season, Joel Embiid were to win MVP and defensive player of the year in the same season, would you say that that is unrealistic, very realistic somewhere in between? Cause I, I know I say in the league who can do so. So he can. The unrealistic part is I don't know if he'll ever get to the point where he plays enough games, um, not even from an injury standpoint, but just from teams like load managing type stuff um, mm -hmm. where that happens. That would be my uh, that would be my my guess on that one, where it'd be hard to beat out a Giannis, a James Harden, a, I don't know who I would, Durant, whoever it'd be. I don't know. He, him actually, he's a bad example now also because of the games, right? But just in terms of that, um, I don't know if we'll ever be at that point. So I do want to leave you on this. I host another NBA podcast called Quiz the Beat, and it's essentially where I bring on uh, people who cover specific teams, and I give them a trivia gauntlet or trivia quiz, essentially, on the team they cover. And I know you said you don't technically cover the Sixers, but you've written this book. But last episode of the podcast, I had Mike Vorkanov on, who covered the Knicks. And he actually challenged you to come on for a Philly episode. So it doesn't have to be soon, nah. but eventually, would you be willing to come on and accept his challenge? Sure. I'll lose, but sure. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. And then I guess my, my second last last question, is it safe to say that I'm your favorite Zach that you've done an NBA podcast with? <laughs> Very good. <laughs> Sure, yeah, I can say that. I'm going to tweet this out and tag him every day in it until he acknowledges it. So uh, thank you for that. <laughs> no, but seriously, you're on. We, uh, we, uh, thank you so much for your time taking this. Uh, tanking to the top, the book, I, as soon as I heard about it, I knew I had to buy it. Uh, I'm super excited to read it, and thanks so much for taking the time out of your day to do this interview. No, thanks for having me. Yeah, read it. Don't just buy it. Read that stuff. Yeah, I'm definitely going to read it next. Once my uh, once my unpacking finally gets uh, done, I'm definitely excited to read it because that Philly experiment is insane. I'm excited to go in depth. Enjoy. We stayed up till the morning. 
Talking to the first light of dawn. 